Together with his wife, Isaac Tolpin is the co-founder of the Be Courageous Ministry. They have best-selling courses, books, and the Be Courageous app. Those of you married, would you say to your kids, follow my lead in exactly what you see I'm doing, and including the mistakes I make in humbly apologizing. I want you to follow my lead in these things, and I hope you have a marriage like mine. And if you can't say that, then there is nothing more important to work on. He's a top-rated podcaster with over 2 million downloads as they do their weekly show, Courageous Parenting. I had a startup company and 43 employees. I got financially wiped out. Like we did really well financially all the way up the first 16 years of our marriage. Every year kind of growing in finances, you know, just amazing. Just, whoa, this is really cool. The dream house and all the things to negative $500,000 debt following me from the business and zero finances to the point of selling my Rolex too. So just completely financially toast. Isaac is driving forward the Resolute Man movement to help men reject passivity, stand for truth and lead unapologetically. Sometimes the slow path out of devastation is the best path, if it's the right direction. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So Isaac, I was looking through your Instagram page earlier on today, and I came across a very interesting post, and one amongst many, I have to say. So thank you for all your great content there. But there was one that struck me, one that struck me especially, and you say that you can't lead right if your heart and mind aren't right. And I was curious in that moment about a time in your life where your heart and your mind weren't right and what your life looked like at that point and what you did to get your heart and your mind right again. Well, what a good question. And I love the depth right away it's awesome what a good podcast that's what so, i'm all about man yeah <laughs> great, to, great to be here gavin so appreciate it and yeah i think that you know i've studied leadership i was enamored by what it takes to lead probably because i didn't really have very many opportunities to lead or wasn't in situations i was more of an introverted young person and you know didn't have that strong father figure around growing up and really you know didn't really come into manhood with some defining good experience, if you will. And so I think that's a big challenge for men. Like ask yourself the question, when did you become a man? And a lot of times it's these, oh, when I moved out or it's when I did this, uh, this other thing or whatever, so there's these things. And I think to answer your question, much of my growing up, my heart and mind wasn't right. I would say into my teenage years and uh, into my early 20s and so forth, it was, I felt very alone. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. I'm sure you can. And I felt like there was so much more 
that was possible for my life, but I couldn't quite see how that was going to happen. I saw that while wow, I could have big impact, I was drawn towards leadership and influence and having an impact, but I couldn't see that path to getting there. And I think that leads to some, whenever we're not contributing to the world in a way that we think we should be, our heart and minds are sometimes not right. And when our hearts and minds are not right, it helps fuel the wrong things happening and not the right things happening. And so I think much of my early life as a young man, my heart and mind wasn't right. And I really, one of the things that was really helpful for me is to push myself out of my comfort zone and get into sales. And it's so interesting because I never, you know, I always took, I took the dishwasher job, not the, you know, waiter job. You know, I took, I went commercial fishing in Alaska when I was 15 and 16 and, you know, I wasn't around people. I was in the middle of nowhere in the ocean, right? Catching fish and very dangerous thing. And um, I just, you know, always took those things. But then I was presented an opportunity. And I remember I was doing some landscaping. My first job, I was in college. Not my first job, but while I was in college, it was my first job while in college. And I remember going, this is not good. Like, this is not going to help me learn how to be a person of influence and things like that and to lead and to help people. And so then the sales job presented itself and I was so scared of it. I was so scared because I'd never like had a sales job before. And I took that and that really was the beginning of me understanding how to be more effective as a man in communication, to study linguistics and study people and how people are wired differently. And I just became enamored with that. And I believe as my purpose started to become more clear and what my capabilities were, my heart and mind started becoming more whole. Mm -hmm. Was there a defining moment in that process? I think that, uh, yeah, whenever you get into sales, your first sale is the hardest thing to get. And, um, you know, and I remember that being a challenge. And I just remember people wanting to hear from me when I started to have some success and traction with that and starting to give some speeches at uh, team meetings and things like that and learning over time that I had an ability to communicate in a way that was impactful. And I think that I ended up uh, running a summer office while I was in college for this company. And I remember, you know, shortly that before that, my manager kind of laughing at me because of how horrible my speech was at his office. And I went out to run my own and something all of a sudden came over me and this ability showed up that was I never knew I had this ability to passionately orate about something and captivate the 50 people on my team in the room in a way which they felt like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And we together were doing something incredible together. And I just remember that feeling. I'm like, whoa, I finally discovered an important part of who I am, how God made me to be. And I would have never discovered that unless I pushed myself far beyond my comfort zone, like way beyond my comfort zone. And what was interesting out of all the 200 college students that did that thing around the country that summer, um, we ended up being number one in a very small town in, in America. And, and, and it wasn't about being number one, but what I learned is that, wow, 
when we really push ourselves, when we push ourselves out of our comfort zone, we decide I'm not going to live with regret when it becomes necessary to, to pursue something and to grow. Um, that's when we're going to do it. And that's when I think that our, that we start to discover really who we are and how we can have impact. I would say that was the beginning of it. There's another very pivotal thing that happened to me a little bit later, but that was the beginning. I think going from like obscurity and not knowing how to communicate with people and lacking confidence and being introverted to commanding a room in a way that encouraged people mm-hmm. was so life-giving for me in discovering who I was. Was the catalyst there your manager's comment? That could have been a purposeful strategy, actually, on his part, because he was a very good leader, good friend today. So I don't want to throw him under the bus at all. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, but I think it wasn't. I think that really what it was was, um, I don't know. I think it. I think when I showed up and I pushed myself beyond whatever thought I could do, that then I untapped some capability I didn't know I had at all. And I think a lot of times men will only pursue things if they know they're going to be successful or they have a track record in this so they keep down that path but i think it's really important especially in your 20s even 30s but we're in teens even we're to try many things we need to push the envelope in different ways it reminds me i read an article because i was fascinated with parenting and these things and obviously tiger woods has a interesting you know story to him but one of the, the good stories is that he was really good at golf. Well, one of the things I read about what his dad did was he forced his son to try all the things that maybe his son thought he wasn't very good at and, and pushed him in lots of different directions so that he could discover. Because a lot of times what we think are our gifts, our skills, our abilities are, only, are, are contrived in this smaller box only based on the experiences we've fallen into or circumstantial experiences when really, I think we really fully find out more of what we're capable of, what our passions are, when we're trying different things, when we're pushing ourselves to the limits, to the breaking point. And I would say now as a Christian, as a believer, which I didn't become a believer until I was 23 years old, I was very much not a believer in God or uh, or even really a higher power at, until I was 23. But I, I really think that um, now it's like, it's just, it's just, it's incredible. That's, that's a whole nother level of heart and mind change um, to orientate my mind and heart towards our creator and, and, and biblical truth and those kinds of things like this incredible roadmap towards living and living well. And I can contrast that too, which is interesting because my first 23 years of life was without that mindset and heart change. And then from then on to now has been radically different, even Mm -hmm. more so. So it took you until your twenties or during your college years to really get out of your comfort zone. What do you feel kept you in that zone for a long period of your life? I would say it's one word and it's fear and fear is everybody experiences fear it's a human emotion so we can't like completely rid fear from our life completely because it's a real thing and sometimes fear can be good like don't touch the hot stove right we all get that but i'm talking more about the fear of failure the fear of success the fear of what people think the fear of 
Um, you know, what happens if I don't? All these things are such limiters. And that was definitely a huge limiter in my past. But, a, you know, a little, a little thing happened to me when I was nine years old, maybe eight, is I made these little wooden boats and I sold them on the street corner on my little card table and people started buying them and I saw kids using them and, and that was a huge boost. So there's a little pocket there of light that really like gave me a vision for being a business owner uh, when I was older. And I, so I always had that vision. I think vision is so important and we should latch onto those things. And even though I was limited and had fear and I lacked confidence in personal communication with other people, I lacked confidence in being a man, I lacked confidence in ever even being married and any of these things. And, um, but I had this vision that, wow, creating value that other people enjoy and making profit from that, what a beautiful experience. And there's this one day where I made way over a hundred bucks. I don't know, maybe a couple hundred dollars as eight or nine year old selling my crafts, watching kids enjoy them right there in the water. That is the most beautiful experience. And so I think I drew upon that and extrapolated later, but I think fear held me back from then to there and lack of opportunity and potentially and uh, or just maybe not seeing the opportunities or believing in myself to have the opportunities after that. But I just remember that and and um, at fear of failure and fear of success, those things hold men back like you wouldn't believe. And I think really pushing myself and doing the sales thing and then even further uh, when I became a Christian, when I started believing in Jesus and believing in the Bible. I'm like, whoa, it says do not fear anything in this world. Like we have nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear in this world. And I would say my faith that God, faith in God has literally radically erased my fear in a big way. Do I still fear sometimes? Yes. But man, I just look at everything in the past since I was 23 and on and it is really relying on God's strength versus my own and uh, I've had periods of time where I start taking it, things in my own strength and it's never as good and I learn a lesson from that but I think that if we're limited to only our own strength I think we're limited and I think that there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. What happened between the age of 9 to 23 because usually the story goes oh I started selling my wooden boats or I started selling lemonade on the side of the street and then it moved on to something bigger and something grander and 10 years later you're a fully fledged entrepreneur so there seems to be a gap there there is a gap and I would say this isn't an excuse but this is an opportunity for today for people listening and their kids which is the internet wasn't around when I was growing up right we didn't have cell phones, internet. Um, I wasn't really accustomed to going to the library. I wasn't that kind of kid. And so knowledge was scarce, it seemed like. I didn't have mentors around me. I could have done a better job of probably attracting those people and all those things because I understand things differently now. But um, there really was a lack of resource and knowledge and then my own confidence was low. So I would say, you know, graduating high school, getting into, you know, trouble and these kinds of things that, you know, people do. And I definitely was on that path. I was very independent, went commercial fishing, 15, 16. I did go to college, uh, graduated college, ended up graduating from University of Washington. I'm not a believer in college these days, but, uh, 
And uh, I would say that that my college degree, I know it helped some people didn't seem to really help my path too much. But that was just something you did back then. And um, but I did that. And then the sales, I got into sales when I was uh, while I was in college in 19 and and, um, you know, those kinds of things. And so I was running an office for a second time and accepted the Lord, um, you know, not too far after that when I was 23 years old. So I think that um, all in between there. By the way, I will say when I was doing the sales thing and managing my own business and my own office, and I remember making $30,000 in a summer doing that. Uh, so it was very lucrative way back with then, you know, I had lots of cash and I was not, yeah, I had no spiritual beliefs. And I remember feeling because in that environment, you know, I was number one out of 200 offices. I was like, I felt invincible. I discovered this new super skill. I felt like it was a super skill of public speaking and influencing people and moving people in a direction. And, um, and my confidence was soaring. My ego was probably soaring too. And in a negative way, in some ways. And, but, uh, I felt invincible and I always looked at it at that point, I looked like, well, you know, I, I get it. Some people need faith. They need God, um, because it helps them, but I don't look at me. I mean, I've got 30 grand in the bank. I'm a college student. I could teach a business class. If you, I feel like, and you know, a little arrogant. I remember feeling these things though. And, um, and I think that we have to be careful on that path too, because humility is, is incredibly important and it wasn't until somebody asked me what my purpose in life was and i had a pretty good answer but uh it wasn't until someone asked me what my purpose in life was that really believed in the lord that i was really challenged because their answer was so much better than mine and it put me in quite a pickle if that was your nine-year-old son today what would you do differently or how would you approach that if he was the boy standing by the street selling these these boats and what how could you guide him in terms of using that to his advantage as he progressed through his teenage years and adulthood oh i would sit with him and and make sure he understood exactly what his profit was and his expenses and talk through the numbers with him and then go okay well you know i would pay attention to other things people need and and to pay attention to what your next product would be. And, but let's get you on Etsy and let's get you, maybe let's build a website. Um, and you know, so people can contact you. How can we get, how, what stores in town could we, you know, maybe get some of your products in some of the craft stores and things like that. And then I would, I would fully fan that flame. Anytime a child shows a direction and a capability, we need to fan those flames and be there to support them and invest our own money even uh, appropriately. We don't want to like give things to our kids. We want them to earn them. But sometimes it, it makes sense to do those things. I, like right now, for example, um, one of my sons, I have seven sons, by the way, one of my sons um, is, uh, you know, he's had success before uh, selling his photography. His photography was in uh, a really nice coffee shop for a while, and uh, he sold some of those. And that was a cool experience where he created something sold. I think of another one of my sons. He creates these beautiful shelves, like mountain shelves for oils and things like that. He's on Etsy. He's got his own website, LukeTolpin.com. And then, you know, I've got my other son who's just getting his business going, which is the American flag business, wooden flags where they're really custom, the stars are, you know, custom made and these kinds of things. So, so I'm, I'm literally kind of reliving that in a way of 
offering the support maybe I wish I had. Um, but now there's technology. There's so much more that you can do for your kids to help them in those ways. And even on social media, promoting them for them. And this week it's on my list to talk to a couple local businesses to see if we can get the shelves and the flags up, but I'm not just going to do it for them. They're, they're going to come with me and they're going to communicate and do those things. But, um, but just that encouragement and teeing things up and believing in them and keeping them on a path that's working. And we have to remember that it's not, we're never choosing the path for our kids, but they should try things. And whenever things start working, let's fan that flame. And then let's have them try something else and fan that flame. And I think in this world our kids are going to be launching into, as dads, we need to help them be resourceful. We need to help them be resilient. That is far more important than academic. Now, I'm not saying academic isn't important, but knowledge is everywhere. Okay. Most knowledge is free. So getting knowledge isn't that hard. What we have to teach our sons and daughters, by the way, equally, is how to learn to be voracious learners on their own accord and have an appetite for that and how to be resourceful and resilient. That's important. Mm -hmm. You've got seven sons and two daughters. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how busy man, how do you differentiate between being a father for your sons and being a father for your daughters? Cause I've got a son and a daughter as well. And it's, I'm, I'm curious about your approach in terms of your sons and your daughters. Yeah. I, um, haven't made like a real distinctive different approach. I would say, I would say that they, I would say my daughters feel very much respected and included in pretty much anything my sons have been involved and included in. But it just so happens that my daughters aren't as interested in some of the things I've included the boys in. And my boys are not as interested in some of the things I've included my, that my daughters are interested in. So there are differences that naturally appear. Um, but, you know, we're chopping wood. You know, my daughters are welcome to come chop wood too, and they have, right? You know what I mean? It's not just a doesn't have to be just a man thing. I want them to be capable. I want my daughters to be resilient and resourceful and helpful and these kinds of things. But, you know, um, my daughters are super capable and I think they, they really desire to, to have families and, and to, you know, keep a home and, um, but also to be resourceful. They have interests and passions. Like, um, my one daughter, Megan is, you know, starting a podcast soon and she's, uh, 17. So she's going to encourage young ladies with her podcast. And so they're, so we're fanning those flames too, just in whatever their interests are and whatever direction they want to go. So while there are differences that appear, I think that one of the things that with daughters is so important though, that is a little different is you've got to really date your daughters. You got to take them out and um, get that one-on-one time and cherish them. And you've got to be that example of the kind of person you'd want them to marry eventually, uh, because it just so happens that often is kind of what happens, not always, but a lot. And so you want to set the bar high for whoever is approaching them because of how well you've treated your daughters and, and spent time with them and nourished that relationship and what they witness you do with your wife and how you treat your wife. That is so important for the daughters and the guys. The mm-hmm. guys need to see you cherishing, taking care of the wife and how you communicate with her and all these things is so important. Because remember, so many of us just get caught up in what we're doing today 
what we're doing this week, next week, provision, how do we provide, and these kinds of things. We got to get our heads up above, and we have to have vision. If you're a parent, vision is required. doesn't matter if you have a gift of visionary skills or not, okay? And you've got to be looking down the road. What do you want for your grandkids someday? What, do you, what is your legacy going to look like? Because you're sowing and reaping today for that future. What you're leading by example with your children and how you are. Let me ask you a question, those of you married. Do you, would you say to your kids, follow my lead in exactly what you see I'm doing? And including the mistakes I make and humbly apologizing. Are you, I want you to follow my lead in these things. And I hope you have a marriage like mine. And if you can't say that, then there is nothing more important to work on. I can relate to that. My daughter being born was my defining moment in my life. And she was born when I was... 26 and I certainly was not the man you see today. I had a lot of internal chaos that I needed to to sort out and to, yeah. to come to peace yeah, yeah. with. And it encouraged me to to get to work on myself because I knew that my pattern of behavior would have a ripple effect onto her and onto, as you mentioned, the next generations that come. And I've had to do a lot of work on myself in terms of my own childish wounds based on my own father, mother, all those sort of things so that I can break break that pattern for my my children and the children that come after them and so on and so forth. So yeah, kids can change everything. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just massively encouraged by the work you're doing with them. And I gathered that they're not in school or you didn't go through the schooling system or college system. Yeah, good question. You know, we put our um, first daughter, our first child in first grade. And we weren't going to do the public education because we felt like it was super inferior to making progress in life and these kinds of things. That was just our own take for our kids at the time. What was that 20 years, 16 years ago? And, um, and we put her in first grade in a, a really good Christian school. And the school is great. The teachers are great. But we started seeing way back then in the Christian school, the attitudes and behaviors of the kids was not good. And it was not what we wanted our kids to follow after. And we kept her in that whole year. But what we learned is there really is a lack of parenting. There's a lack of, um, regardless of faith, just human decency being expounded down to the kids, like not developing cliques and ostracizing somebody and bullying them at recess would be a good thing to teach kids not to do. Um, not to let your kids watch soap operas with you during the day would be a good thing not to do. This is way back then, Christian school, and we're just like, I was so against homeschooling. Um, I, I'm like, what about socialization? What about all these things? No, I didn't have a great experience in my upbringing, but that doesn't mean they can't in the public schools and these kinds of things and Christian school and, and they need to be lights and it'll make them strong. I had all these other beliefs about it. But then when I witnessed that and I was usually picking her up from school and I would ask how it went and things like that. And although she wasn't bullied and cause she's very capable, very strong, very good at communication. Um, but she was loving to everybody and she just really saw these behaviors and was just not super 
pumped. There was not a single good friend which she could find with good integrity and character qualities to be friends with, even though people were interested in being friends with her. And so I'm like, well, let's, you know, my wife was, you know, into the idea of homeschooling, you know, after we were talking about it, she was really kind of more pushing that direction. And, and I came, hey, let's try it for a year. And so ever since we've homeschooled all of them, it's been absolutely the right decision for our family. It's been amazing. Not just the aspect of um, academics, because they did super well academically, um, but the freedom, the freedom for our family to go and do things when we want to do them. Um, the What about socialization? Well, what, what a beautiful thing to be able to steer the direction of where they're socializing and who they're socializing with. Wow. And really what's not good for kids is lots of friends actually, in my opinion. What's actually good for kids is a few really good trustworthy friends because kids are so impressionable. And so I think if you can have lots of really good, good people to be friends with, I suppose it could be good, but that can be draining too. I think you got to find some people to run the race with and run it well. And really running a race well means there's sharpening of each other that both ways that we're, we're growing and improving and we're not allowing bad behavior to exist. We're, we're sharpening each other. We're growing in a good direction together. And I think a lot of parents are just really oblivious or feel like they don't have control over these things uh, or they have these, I would say, Pollyanna viewpoints about, no, they're going to be a light in this environment. And, hey, why is my kid going this weird direction now that they're 19? Well, what percentage of kids who are 19 are going a weird direction? I don't know but it seems like it's large. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a large part of those kids have gone through school. Yeah. 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 That's, I bring the question up because I'm actually in the process of making that transition with my own kids and my five-year-old son, he's, he was five on Saturday. He's starting school tomorrow and I'm not super pumped about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> we're going to go through the process of a year in school. And my daughter is going into her final year in primary school, which is, I think it's elementary school, the same in, in America. And I've already told my daughter that, okay, this is the last year you're ever going to do in school next year before you go into secondary school, which may be elementary school. Anyway, the next, the school you go to when you're 12 or 13 years of age, the, the transitional period, she's not going to that school. So, you're going to have your kids at home all day, every day. And I'm curious in terms of what your routine is like or how you structure that in your own life. Cause I've got two kids, you've got seven boys and two daughters. If anyone knows about structured routine, it's gotta be you uh, around your kids. So what does that look like to yeah. you? And is there any advice you can give me or anybody else? I, I think this is a growing thing, a growing trend, thankfully for any other parents and any other dads who are thinking about something similar with their kids. Yeah, I would say be supportive to your wife in this thought process and don't be the antagonist, like be open minded to alternative ways to educate your kids, because I really believe it's better. More time with parents is only a good thing. And um, and I think that it's different for every family. I think that when you first start home educating, what tends to happen is you try and mimic the schoolroom. 
and you have their little desk and you have their little map on the wall and you have their little spot. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's for us, that's not how it stayed. Um, and really it's, we have to get, we have to unschool our brains as parents almost to understand that it can be really unique and different. Yes. There's certain things, math, math, science, English, blah, 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 right? Get those, get those in there. But then there's electives. Like you can go do some fun stuff with electives. Like one of my sons is getting an agricultural credit uh, because he's learned how to do compost and the science behind compost. And he's learning um, all about the eggs and the chickens and garden and uh, how to grow things. And all these things shows a real affinity in that direction. And so we're learning all that. Uh, we're now in six acres as of the last two years, which is amazing. And, you know, and those kinds of things, we're giving them credit for building their shelves and, and business and you know, like economics experience from having a little spreadsheet and understanding the profit and expenses and these kinds of things. So it can get really fun. Uh, one of the things I love and it's got to be important is public speaking. What is the public speaking requirements for your school? Well, you're the parents, you're deciding what the school is. Okay. I think that's really important these days. Writing and speaking, the ability to influence with your words and the ability to influence with your writing. Those two things you've got to double down on, I think, with your kids. But you know what's cool? You get to choose that. You get to choose to double down on the things that are relevant for this uncertain world that our kids are launching into. Remember, everybody, you're not raising your kids to launch into the way the world is today. The speed of change is so much faster than it's ever been for any other parents. Okay, every year changes so much faster than any parents before you. So unlike previous generations, they didn't have to think this way. We have to have foresight about what the future is going to be like. In fact, I went solo. Usually it's my wife and I on the Courageous Parenting Podcast. I went solo last week and it was all about this. It was all about projecting what's in the future. So have you thought about, and there's a couple things from the podcast I think you guys will find interesting. Have you thought about transhumanism? What is transhumanism? It is the augmentation of the body with technology to enhance beyond what current human skills allow. Well, why is that important, Isaac? Well, it's really important because are you educating your kids about it, so if you hold the same belief I do, so that they don't put chips in their bodies, okay? Well, of course they're not gonna put chips in their bodies. Well, and I hope I don't get too crazy here with people, but well, wait a minute. People did just put technology in their bodies. mRNA is a technology. It's called a technology, okay? So it's not a microchip. I don't think that, but it is a technology. So what? And it was experimental technology that a billion people just put in their bodies. I don't know if that number is correct. Okay, so, well, who's to say as things get older? So you have to be thinking about the future. So if you put them in some program somewhere, they ain't going to be talking about transhumanism. They're going to be talking, they're not going to be doubling down on public speaking and writing. They're not going to be doubling down on the resourcefulness and resilience and making sure your kids experience things, challenges, and overcome them uh, for like a business where – you launch a product like my son Luke did and you send it and by the time it arrives, the shelf is broken into pieces and not only does he have to pay them back, but he lost the money from the materials and all his time. 
that is far more important than woodshop. Okay. So I know I didn't quite answer your question, so I'm going to go back to it. So the schedule and rhythm in the house, it really varies. I mean, I think that you could by noon, you can get most things done that usually happen and take until three o'clock in the regular school. I just want to kind of point that out. You're not, there's not all the line waiting. There's not all the in between. There's not gearing things to the slowest person in the room and all those kinds of things. So you'll be really baffled about how little actually used to get done in the school and how much you can get done by noon with your kids. And so I think that's a good thing. It's like knock that school, start, eat the frog, right? Do the hard things first in the day. Meet as a family, that's what we do. Kids do that get their school done. And then they're motivated to get it done because they actually do enjoy it because they love learning. We've instilled that. But also they have other things they want to do, the really fun things of building something, doing something, taking care of something, playing, you know, and those kinds of things. And so I think that's really important. In our family, my wife has really been in charge of that. The first long period of our life, I was busy in the work world, building business and entrepreneur and and those kinds of things and um, a big ambition and all those kinds of things, right? It wasn't until um, I lost everything. I had a startup company and 43 employees, and um, I got financially wiped out. Like we did really well financially all the way up to the first 16 years of our marriage. Every year kind of growing in finances, you know, just amazing. Just, whoa, this is really cool. The dream house and all the things to negative $500,000 debt following me from the business and zzz zero finances to the point of selling my Rolex too that was given to me. So um, just completely financially toast. But I was the, one of the richest people because I had sewed into my family. We just had our, um, our seventh, our seventh child. So we had a new baby. And here I am with my family renting a house wiped out financially negative half a million dollars. So I don't know how I got to that from the education thing, but oh, humility. It was like, that's what I needed. It was super painful, but man, like, oh, I was in the work world until then. And then I moved into full-time ministry after that. That's, that's, the, that's what happened. But yeah, so the change now in homeschooling, bring it back to the question, is that I am um, I am more involved. My wife is still like fully like making sure stuff happens and working with the kids, but I would say I'm around more. I've reorientated my life to where work bends around family versus family bending around my work. Mm -hmm. You've <clears throat> yeah, you've uh, identified your priorities, perhaps. Yeah, or your values more so, and understanding that you're family are a higher value than your business was perhaps and it took losing the business to understand that yeah do you agree yeah i 100 percent agree yeah and i would say if anybody's in that situation to go on the the serious debt thing and the, the financial catastrophe because i know that happens to people and um i stayed the course i answered every phone call every creditor i worked part-time for two years just negotiating that debt off to where everybody was happy and it got paid off in two years really miraculously actually it's not because i made 500 grand to pay it off miraculously unbelievable stories of god's provision and how he showed up and giving me favor and certain things just beyond my, what i could do um and i just really 
am thankful for that. And I included my children in that. And I would say that was the best homeschool experience they probably ever got, which is meeting around the table, them knowing our financial situation, not hiding anything from them, praying together, and then watching how things happen. Just every two weeks, I'd get a whiteboard out, just like a work meeting, and bring it in the kitchen. I'd write down, let's list everything God has shown up and done in the last two weeks, in the last month. And this list would get so long. Everybody would pipe in. We'd get so excited together. And we'd have like $1,000 in the bank and like, you know, much more in bills coming in the next 10 days. Anybody ever felt that, right? Total peace, total trust in the Lord. Like, well, this is a whole new journey. Like, this is exciting, right? And I had that opportunity. I had friends that own companies. They're very successful. And, um, you know, one offered me a job the other one probably would have if I pursued it uh, six figure very very good job move you know the family somewhere and I just said no I said no no I think the, the Lord's gonna gonna provide for us and 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 solve this I felt this conviction and uh, I was very obedient to whatever needed to happen and um, you know I, I I think sometimes we're not willing to learn what we need to learn I remember sitting there I'm not a techie person and I remember sitting in this room in our house and going, okay, I need a website. I can't afford to pay someone to build a website. Okay, so I'm gonna take this course. I'm gonna pay $20 and take this WordPress course. And here I am, no money coming in, sitting there trying to learn how to build a WordPress website. You know, that's not my strength or my skill set or any desire. I'm more visionary, talk to people get things done that way versus the details and technology and, and those things. But you know what? We got to do whatever we got to do. Mm -hmm. And that was more important to me than moving the family and just having it easy, making money was no, I'm going to be obedient to, I think what maybe the Lord wants us to do. And boom, now it's like, look what God has done. It's like 206 podcast episodes and courses. And we're now launching be courageous coffee and, coffee subscription and um, all these wonderful things that are having big impact on tens of thousands of people, eventually millions of people. Our goal is to impact 10 million legacies. And I just, uh, what a beautiful thing. And I think that what, what, what would have been a lot easier and logical and actually made more sense at the time was to go take that job. But what's logical and makes most sense isn't always what's best. Usually, I think I just posted this yesterday, build what matters versus what's easy, right? Mm -hmm. Build what, yeah, build what matters, not what's easy. It's never easy to nurture what's best. That's why so many have regrets. So you can go read that post on Resolute Man on Instagram or Facebook, but it's so important. It's because I've lived this out. I'm like, I could go build what's easy, but I want to build what matters. My kids are watching. I want to do what's meaningful. I don't want to, sometimes the slow path out of devastation is the best path if it's the right direction. So I think sometimes in this world, we're looking for that short term. Hey, I want to be wealthy and independent, financially independent, which I thought I would have been by 35, by the way. Um, I'm 46 now and uh, five years removed from that financial devastation, right? So, so it's like, okay. Um, we, we live in a world where it's like, how can I be completely free financially? 
I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that if that is your number one focus in life, it is bad. It's we don't want to enter into idolatry where something is so important that grabs all of our attention. Yeah, but Isaac, I'll be there for the kids when it matters in their teenage years, when they really need me. Right now they got mom. Uh, complete failure, alarms going off, breakdown, you're failing as a father. That is not how it works. They are highly formed by age 10 and what they believe and the direction they're going and things like that. In addition to that, even the years before they can remember, like prior to four, they're being formed prior to four. They're, a relationship with you is being built or not prior to four years old. Then you have all these other years. So your ambition might be sacrificing your number one mission. And you think it's okay because I'm going to provide so handsomely for the family and I'll be there more when it matters. But you know what? We as dads are also building a rhythm in life of what we're doing and habits and addictions to success and to feeling important to working and all these things that even when you have the money, history shows in most men, they do not start spending more time with their families. Now it's a game. How many more millions can I save? Again, I'm all for good resources. I'm all for favor and fruitfulness and making good money to do good with it. It's awesome. But so many men get sucked into this myth that if only I had this. You know what the sweetest time I ever had with my family is when I went and I, in the business world and I had much and I went to nothing. And I was humbled and I was sober minded and I was able to recalibrate and think about what is most important and reorientate my life from that point forward. Oh, thank the Lord I did that. Praise the God that that catastrophe happened to me. I think we get we get caught up in that chaos and we're left with a choice to make as you had several choices on the table or seven several options on the table that you could have chosen from. You know, you had a couple of jobs there six-figure jobs. I'm curious what it was in that moment that changed your mind. I know you spoke about certain aspects of having your family there and being present with them and that you can actually be there for your sons and for your daughters and that that's what you wanted. It sort of realigned your values. But I feel even though men will realize that, they're still going to lead towards What's I wouldn't say what's easy, but they're going to lead towards something that is going to offer more short-term peace or solution. And I'm, again, I'm curious in terms of what views you away from making that decision ultimately. I would think uh, there's a couple things. One of them is um, stability for kids is really important. And while I didn't have financial stability, um, we did have a good community we were part of friendships, um, you know, um, that was something to be said for. Uh, we did live, even though we were renting, it was a beautiful ranch and it was a really just a wonderful place to be. And in addition, I know who I am. And while I can work for somebody and I'll do whatever it takes to provide for my family, like the path I took didn't work, I would have for sure gone and worked for somebody. No problem. But really, I've always 
been an entrepreneur since I was nine. I mean, I think the only jobs I ever had were when I was 16 and 17 working for restaurants. And so in a fish house when I was 18, that's right. So I had a, a slew of jobs from that 16 to 18 mark. Um, and after that, I've never had a traditional job. And I think I just, you know, really knowing who you are and what's better for you. There are for some people, by the way, it is better to take the job. Some people that would have been the better choice actually, because that might be your best thing. Like maybe the exhaustion from doing the entrepreneurial thing is so much and the anxiety and all that. I just need peace. I just need to heal and go work somewhere and not have the weight of financial burden on me. But you know, that's where my faith kicks in. And I think I was able to do it because of God, me trusting something beyond myself. And so that has been able to sustain me into more unique paths, I would say, because it's not about my own strength. It's about trusting something bigger and um, trusting that he's doing something, even though there's hardship. I mean, telling 43 people that you don't have jobs anymore, that is terrible in a small community. It is terrible. I mean, our company was in the newspaper many times and we were an up and coming company and was doing a couple million dollars in revenue. It just wasn't enough. We couldn't turn the corner and we ran out of runway and, um, you know, investors lost some money and I lost the most. Um, not only did we go negative half a million, but I put a half a million into the business. I put everything in. So it's like, uh, but money's just money. It's a resource. And the most important thing is, is, uh, your family. So I think that's where I, I, I was prioritizing my family. I felt like financial instability was better for my family than uprooting them. Mm. And, you know, I don't know that I would have lasted in those jobs. I don't know if I would have been doing them a service because I probably would have worked there a couple years. They would probably try, would have tried to keep me and give me more money. And then I would have left and I would have gone and done what I'm supposed to do. So that's not necessarily a great thing for them either. I was in a similar situation yourself. Not the exact same situation in terms of losing a whole lot of money, but I did lose a job. It was only a month after my daughter was born that I was made redundant from this job that I thought was going to be the career for the rest of my life. You know, working my, up this, my way up this ladder and only to be knocked off it on some random Tuesday. And <clears throat> again, I took that path off. I think it was a. I think it's a fear-based path when you just go and you get back onto something that is familiar to you, instead of taking some time to ask yourself some questions in terms of okay, is this what I want? Is this what I truly want to do with my life? Is this my purpose? Didn't didn't even think about that. I remember going home that afternoon, going straight onto the laptop, onto Google to find the next job straight away. And I did actually get a job. The funny story is I did get a job as a manager in another, as it was a retail outlet that I used to manage. And I was fired from that job, thankfully. Uh, I think it was three or four months into the job, I was fired from it. And even after that, I went and I went back to college to study a social care degree because I thought, oh, you know what? There's a big demand for men in social care, so I'll, I'll get a job out of this. And Whilst I was doing that, I was just working on this little side hustle of personal training people on the, on a part-time basis, and that grew into the business, and it it took 
that small risk of trying something new outside of what I already knew in order to fully trust the process and to pursue with that. So, yeah, and, and of course, looking back, I wish I had known that sooner. And is there anything in your life or experience or in your job or throughout your entrepreneurial process or being a dad that you wish that you had known sooner that would have maybe avoided some pitfalls along the way? Or did you need those pitfalls? Um, yeah, I think that I think that I started to develop a little bit of an elitist mentality about myself uh, when I was successful in an environment I was in. And um, while I was gracious and loving to people, I think that that hurt my ability to build friendships with other men um, when I was uh, in those from 23 to what would it have been like 40, you know, that whole span. I had friends, I made friends, but I don't know. I uh, was highly opinionated, maybe inside. I didn't necessarily express all those opinions as very appropriate, but I feel like that God could only use me so much. And he did back then a lot, but, and I was in the word and, and, and walking strong, but, but I think that humility looks good on everybody and arrogance looks bad on everybody. And I think arrogance, you would call that pride. The Bible talks about pride a lot and it's, uh, you know, pride before the fall, right? There's scripture on that. It's, you know, we need to be in a posture of helpfulness of looking at everybody as equal in value, regardless of what they do, regardless of their stature in society, regardless of um, their faith. We need to look at everybody as equal in value. Um, and I think that I want to think that I was that way. I probably would say something like that, but I don't know. I had some arrogance. And I don't know how that played out, but I think that it's easier for me now to have relationships with the guys. I think what, one of the things that happens is guys get very competitive with each other. They, I'm not talking about playing football and being competitive and having fun. That's cool. But I think that what happens is inside there's this covetousness of, man, he has something I want. And so that bothers me now. And so now... There's friction in my relationship, and I don't even think. I think there's just hidden competitiveness with men that's horrible. It prevents men from running the race together and really locking arms and understanding, being transparent about where we're weak, where we need help. That was one of the hardest things for me to do is ever ask for help. I didn't even want to ask anybody to help me move. I had, I'd rather like do the pain of loading everything myself in a truck than ask somebody to help me. You know, that's prideful. That's super prideful. And I think God needed to break me to where the only thing I could do was ask for help. Mm -hmm. And to watch how that grew relationships, how it wasn't a demeaning thing, but it was like everybody understood that, hey, things happen to people. Things happen. And we're not always in this upward progress mode that things are going to happen. And you want people around you 
they're going to care about you and care about your family. And I think that that weighs well. So you've got to, guys, you've got to build strong community around you and you're going to kill the ability for your family to have strong community if you're prideful. Because all you're going to build is these surfacey relationships where you just play sports with other guys and maybe your families get together, but you don't go deep and you don't really talk about your issues and you don't hold each other accountable. You don't build a brotherhood with each other. That's what you want to do. You want to build a brotherhood with each other, with a small group of people. And you want, you want to do that with people that have good families and are in alignment, how they're raising their kids. And so your families can get together and it's a good, a beautiful thing. So you got to be looking for those things. But so often our inner covetousness, our inner competition of stature, of having a cool enough car, of having a cool enough house, cool enough job, something cool you can say, a cool title, all of these things. Let's just lose the charade and so that we can actually walk with each other. There's nothing more, um, I can't think of the right word, uh, horrible. There's nothing I dislike more than another brother that just wants to compete in lifestyle with me. And either looks down on me because of where I'm at or looks up at himself because of how much better he perceives his situation to be. That is a killer relationship. Let's just rejoice in each other. You want to have friends where you rejoice when something amazingly good happens for your brother. Wow. You just closed this deal, this real estate deal, and that brought $600,000 into your savings. Man, that is amazing. Dude, we should throw a party. But you know what happens? The, the natural thing in men is to go, oh, wow, he just took a leap ahead of me. That's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's so bad. That's The Bible calls it to covet. We're not to covet. It ruins fellowship. It ruins relationship. You don't have any real friends if you're just prideful and arrogant and you only play sports together. If you're not going deep and who's got your back when this world falls apart? Like, let's just say, everybody, that what the World Economic Forum has already tested, they tested the COVID thing before COVID happened and COVID happened. Now they've kind of prophesied about the internet and the electricity shutting down to reset the internet. Okay, that's the next thing they've said is going to happen. Okay, so we should probably believe that's going to happen next. Okay. And it just so happens American elections are in November. And it just so happens conservatives, it looks like, are going to completely obliterate the liberals. By the way, I didn't just take a side right there. You probably guessed my side, but um, but I'm not trying to be controversial on the podcast here. Okay, could it happen in November then when the internet goes down for a week? Well, what happens when the internet goes down for a week? What happens if the electricity goes out for a while? You're talking mayhem. Do you realize in some small towns, the only route of food trucks to come in is one way? And do you realize that most small towns have three days worth of food in the grocery stores? If those, that food doesn't get replenished, there's only three days supply. Well, what happens when nothing works? Human behavior gets real strange. So who are your real friends? Mm-hmm. You know, we need to lock arms. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. That's all documented stuff I talked about. 
Oh, I know. I believe you, man. And we've seen uh, the human experience when the shit at the fan with, with COVID and everyone rushing to the uh, the shopping aisles to pick up a year's supply of toilet roll and uh, <laughs> going absolutely crazy. And yeah, like that was a, a clear demonstration in terms of the absolute stress levels that people uh, got themselves locked into. Not just locked into their houses, but locked in fear. I didn't, I didn't buy into the whole COVID thing, and uh, I believe that there's always something, something more beneath the beneath the surface that we're that we're not being told about. As as I gather, you too um, believe that. So yes, it's uh, yeah. And just going back to your thing about men and being competitive. Yeah, if you, if you're continuously being competitive with your fellow man you can never truly connect with another man and this this is why there's a loneliness epidemic it's part of the reason there's other reasons but i think that's a massive factor and of course you don't just see your fellow man now on the street you see him on social media every single day or every couple of days and the likes or the money or the car or the house or the family or the holiday and again it's continual competition every single day instead of saying wow well done man you've obviously worked really hard to achieve that i admire your effort and your and your work ethic or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's continually pushing them away and you it's you're the one losing out in the end unfortunately yeah. so yes um and this is why we need more of these conversations and more men like yourself to uh to speak about it. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Isaac. And oh, me too, man. And uh, I can't wait for uh, for more content and more great stuff to come from you, from you man. And uh, I feel like you're only you're only beginning here. So I can't wait to to see what's coming next and how far you can go. So and to be a part of that, I hope. So uh, where can all the good people find you and get in touch? Yeah. So resoluteman.com. Eventually, you know, down the road, there'll be a podcast. I want to do a man podcast too. And I think it's so important to just keep getting the right messages out there. It'll be a guest show. But right now there's a shop like this hat and things like that uh, to support what we're doing and kind of remind ourselves to stand firm. No, stand firm for righteousness. Stand firm for goodness. Stand firm for what you believe in. These kinds of things, right? Um, And then CourageousParenting.com. That's where our podcast is and resources and so forth. I would say you can follow me on Resolute Man, uh, you know, social, and um, be looking for Be Courageous Coffee. It's a coffee subscription, yeah. unbelievable coffee. Right now, it is USA only, though. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I love my coffee, man. So whenever, whenever you can ship one, Darren, let me know. Yeah. <clears throat> and- oh, there's one. There, there is one more thing. We have the Be Courageous app. It is faith based, so it's Christian. So if yeah. Any- believers out there but Could we be, have our own social media platform called be courageous sweet man loads of things happening and i'm gonna have to grab myself one of those hats too i love it <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've sold it to me you've got Thanks, it. Isaac. Yeah. yeah great to be here gavin enjoy right, it guys yeah thank you man talk soon all right thank you for tuning in to another episode of the modern warrior podcast if this episode has added value to your life please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. 
for the time being. Stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.